Pilot Boys in the building. Welcome to the Pilot Boys podcast, where you'll get the real on all things sports, music, and pop culture. I am Mecca Don here with my co-host, V. Mama Mentality for Life. Today is May 28th, 2020. Thank you guys for tuning in. I know you could be anywhere in the world, but you're here with us. We are still socially distanced due to this coronavirus, but hopefully we'll be out of this thing soon. But in the meantime, we're going to continue to bring you a show at all costs. Today is a pretty heavy show. We have a lot of stuff to talk about in news and notes. We talk about New York and New Jersey's, New Jersey's professional teams, University of Michigan potentially not playing football versus battles, the NFL changes in the Rooney Rule, George Floyd and Amy Cooper, and so much more. Shout out to our Patreon subscribers. Remember now that our Patreon subscribers will get our episodes on Wednesdays a night early. If you want to donate, you can log on to www.patreon.com forward slash Pilot Boys Podcast. And don't forget to grab some Pilot Boys wristbands at shop.pilotboys.com. Let's go. Where the Pilot Boys at? Pilot Boys, we get on up. We don't fly, boys, we get up. You're listening to the Pilot Boys Podcast, episode 30. V, uh, we got a lot of news and notes, man. So much that we didn't even think we should have a guest today. Um, we got a lot to talk about, man. You ready to jump into it? Let's get it. All right. So let's start. <laughs> I mean, it's almost impossible to have a conversation nowadays, really about anything without it relating to the coronavirus. Um, but the coronavirus and all the things surrounding it really are dictating a lot of our different things in life. Uh, for example, what's happening with sports. So the first thing is New York and New Jersey, uh, their professional teams have allowed, uh, their, uh, or the, they're allowing the professional teams to have training camps effective immediately. Uh, I think that's significant because New York and New Jersey, or two of the states, New York obviously number one, and New Jersey is probably in the top five of states that were hit the hardest by this. Um, so the fact that they are willing to do that now um, is a good sign if you know about the virus specifically because they've seen they've been more restrictive and then also um, about sports returning yeah I mean again we just I'm just keeping my fingers crossed and and trusting that they know more than we do um, and that they're exercising caution and I think again if New York and Jersey open up um, this is kind of the the issue right is that Teams are in different states, they're in different cities, and if New York and New Jersey open up, but let's say Massachusetts doesn't open up, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. What does that mean then in terms of how the NFL is going to handle this if, if certain states are saying, hey, we don't feel like it's safe enough for these actions or activities and others do, how is that going to impact um, the competitive balance of the NFL? It's a tricky situation for them, well, right? Well, yeah, it is, actually. And that's actually a, kind of a great segue uh, to kind of what's happening in college, right? Because the NCAA essentially came out and said that uh, college football and basketball um, can start having voluntary, essentially voluntary, quote-unquote, workouts uh, as, as of June 1st. Um, and then you have, you know, a lot of, so a lot of guys are going to be reporting back to, to campuses and, doing these voluntary workouts. But then in Michigan, uh, the, the governor in Michigan or the, you know, the, kind of the executives in Michigan have basically said, 
no, you, you can't come back that early. And so now there's even there are even questions about whether or not Michigan and uh, Michigan State, um, but particularly Michigan, is even going to have a football season. Um, and it doesn't – I don't know. Right now it doesn't seem good. Well, I mean, maybe if they take a break for a year and don't play, um, they'll come back <laughs> two years from now and maybe maybe be somewhat competitive in college football again. So right. it's not a it's not a big loss for us. I'm just I'm I'm kidding, of course, but um, it is uh, it is significant, right? What does how does that impact the rest of the Big Ten if mm-hmm. if some of the schools are saying we're going to play and some aren't? Like right. There are a lot of things that need to be worked out here um, to make well, it, other, the, make and it work. The, and the other thing, too, that I think people haven't really talked about yet is it's not necessarily um, like what the laws of that state are always that you also have to consider what are the health risks in your area. So, for example, if a team is traveling to Columbus and Columbus is open and let's say they have 50 percent or 75 percent capacity, but this, the school that's coming from the school that's coming to play Ohio has different thoughts on, you know, on how they want to deal with the, the coronavirus. You know, how does that work? You know, how, you know, obviously, if you're in that state, you have to live kind of by those jurisdictions and those rules. But it's, it's kind of bigger than that. So I think there are a lot of issues here. Um, you know, Michigan not potentially not playing, I think, is a very real thing. Uh, it's I don't know what data they're looking at. You know, I don't know what what they're going to use to make their decision. But as it sounds now. As it sounds right now, it sounds like a very real thing. And um, I think it just highlights, like what you said earlier, a lot of the potential issues of trying to come back because there are a lot of other things you have to take into consideration beyond just what's happening in your city. Specifically at the NCAA level, right? Because we're not like the professional leagues. You're talking about approximately 30 teams, um, much easier to manage. But when you're talking about all of college athletics, you're talking about hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of universities mm-hmm. and and competitions and leagues. So it's it's definitely a and quote, and quote unquote amateurs, right? Yes, you know, so yes. That, that, those are different issues as well. And then, uh, sorry, the thing I've been meaning to say was that Michigan's president essentially said if they don't have students on campus, all students in full semester like fully live on campus and they're not going to have a season essentially you know i actually you know that very rarely do i have nice things to say about that school up north but i do respect how he's he's handling this situation saying look there's no difference between us as athletes if it's not safe for our students to be on campus we're not going to put our students i mean our student athletes at a different risk than we would put our regular students specifically because they're amateurs right yeah, and but the but the reality is that a lot of these things are ultimately going to be political and economics because you can't just not have, especially if other people are playing, right? Then, but if you if you don't play and everybody else is playing, you put your you potentially put your program and the money that flows into that school at risk for decades. Literally, that could set you back for decades. The decommits what that that's like the de- almost like a death equivalent of a death sentence for your program now. That doesn't mean that what he's doing is not what you like. What you said is not necessarily noble, or not even necessarily the right thing. Sometimes there are things that are more important than that. So, but 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 they better make sure that they feel like the risk that they're evaluating is justified before they make a decision like that, because there are tons of consequences. Yeah, I mean, it's it's essentially where we stand as a country in a nutshell, right? It's this balance, this delicate balance between. What's important in a capitalist system, which is that the economy runs and people mm-hmm. are able to generate revenue, whether that's 
academic institutions or small businesses versus the potential risk um, from a health standpoint and caring for your citizens and, and making sure people don't die. Right. So, yeah. Yeah. I mean, and that's, yeah. So you're right. I mean, this thing is going to, you know, the other thing that I think last thing on this that I think people have to be ready for is that th these things can change by the week. Right. Yeah. I think the data is getting analyzed differently. You know, new findings are, are, are being put forth. Um, how it's affecting your neighborhood, how it's spreading, you know, what uh, capacity you have for testing, any advancements on treatment, all of those things can, can change this thing. And the interesting thing is that even if a season happens, that season can be interrupted or, or that season, you know, can have changes within the season. You can start off saying, look, we can only have 20% and then by week five, they're like, okay, you can have 50% capacity or, you know what I mean? Or the other way. So yeah, I think people just sports fans, particular have to just kind of be ready for whatever um you can be upset and i know you're going to be upset but there are a lot of challenges to this thing beyond yeah yeah and i think having fans at stadiums should be far down the list of priorities mm -hmm. Absolutely. Um, i understand having the sports um but there's really no real reason why stadiums should be filled with a hundred thousand people speaking of that speaking of that I have a funny, funny question for you that i didn't even prepare you for but uh, I saw like a soccer game, I think it was, um, where they had the pumped in crowd noise and yeah. they had very, very tight angles. So you couldn't really see the stands and it, and it sounded normal. How, how would you feel about something like that? Some people were like mad about it. Like that's bullshit. I don't want to hear artificial noise if the fans aren't allowed in the stadium. I was surprised <laughs> to see people saying that, but. I are. think the fan experience only matters to the fans who are in the stands, right? Like when you're watching at home, how often, I mean, guys are probably checking out some of the girls in the stands and the cheerleaders and stuff like that. But, and, but how often are you paying attention to the fans? Right? Well, you're trying you to ever see that game. NFL game they did back in the day as an experiment, I think where they did it with no commentators. It's like the worst thing that you've ever seen in your life. Literally you can't, it's unwatchable. You can't watch yeah. it. And, yeah. and they'll never do it again. And I think, so I think just to give people the feel, right? Like if I'm watching a soccer game, part of the soccer game literally for me is the noise it, right? it, oh my god of course the noise i mean I, I completely right? agree in terms of creating an atmosphere it's important right but i'm yeah. saying i guess let me let me walk back what i said i i like the idea of noise and f artificial crowd noise right yeah but i'm saying what i was saying is i don't think any of us are really going to who watch on tv are going to lose out on the experience if there aren't fans in the stands yeah. No, I I agree. I think the fan and, and truthfully, if there aren't fans in the stands, we won't even notice because all the shots will be really, really tight yeah. anyway, for the most part. So it's not even. I mean, maybe they'll put up. You know, you'll see a little bit, but you're not gonna. They're not gonna be scanning the stadium. But speaking of uh, kind of the, the coronavirus and how it's affecting these leagues, Damian Lillard came out with some some comments that I thought were a little surprising, right? Considering uh, who I think he is as a person, who I think he is as a competitor. And essentially, he said he said that if the if the NBA returns in July, and the Portland Trailblazers don't have a quote unquote meaningful opportunity to get into the playoffs, then he's not going to play. And here's the, here's I have a more specific quote from him, um, where he well more specific words from him where he essentially said that if they do a playoff or some some type of situation that allows the seventh through twelve seeds to to have an opportunity then it's worth it. But if he's just going to go back and play games when they don't have a meaningful chance to get to the playoffs, then he's not risking 
whatever at the, for that. But then, the, but then he said, <clears throat> but I'll still practice. I'll still be with my team. I'll still sit on the bench. I'm just not going to suit up and play. What are your thoughts, V? Well, let me let me qualify what I'm going to say um, by saying this first. Um, Damian Lillard is one of my favorite athletes, not just basketball players, but athletes, mm-hmm. because I feel like he is someone who stays connected to reality, mm-hmm. right? right. Um, no matter what his salary says, and then also his just competitive nature and instincts. And and this commentary is, with that said, this is one of the dumbest things I've ever heard him say. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, everyone has the right to have like a, a brain freeze moment or something like that. Again, it's it's about what he said and what that signals, right? Mm-hmm. He didn't say, if I don't have a chance or my team doesn't have a chance to make the playoffs, we're not playing because of the health risks um, that are involved with with playing with this virus going around. And maybe, you know, again, that, yeah, he might come back and yeah, say right. that his comments were taken out of context and he did mm-hmm. say that. So I want to give him the benefit of the doubt um, because these are surprising comments. But if this is what he said, it's one of the most asinine things he said for a variety of reasons, right? Mm-hmm. One, he gets paid to play. There's 16 games left. He makes about $400,000 a game. If the Portland Trailblazers weren't making the playoffs, he didn't sit out any other time, right? Mm-hmm. It's only 16 games in the season. And if you really are a competitor and the competitor we know him to be, then get your team in position to make the playoffs. It's not the NBA's fault that you've played 66 games and you're in the ninth or 10th seat mm-hmm. spot. That's completely on you and your team. Play mm-hmm. better, do better, win right. more. Right. You know? right, 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 right. Yeah, yeah, I mean, I think, I think, so I'm conflicted here. When I first heard this, I was conflicted because I was like, I understand, again, I think that it's, it's reasonable to, to give somebody the implication um, whether they say it or not, that they're assuming that they're some type of that they're assuming some type of risk is associated yeah. with playing, right? I think we don't. He doesn't. He shouldn't have to say that for us to assume that, right? But I do think though that there's a difference between saying, from a competitive standpoint, there's a difference between saying, "Look, I don't care for first seed. I don't care for sixth seed. I don't care for fifteenth seed. I don't think it's safe enough to play. Yeah. And if if they try to return us back too fast before I think it's safe enough to play, I'm not playing." I respect that completely, like as yeah. a stance, right? Even if people are mad at you and you know they say, "Well, what did the health official say?" and you like, "I don't care what the health official said. I disagree." I respect that. The problem is that it it makes him seem like this isn't a dude that I would want to want on my team if I was in the playground, right? Because it's yeah. like, are you? What do you mean? So, if you don't have an opportunity to make it based on your record that you earned, right? Your twenty nine wins, whatever that you guys have over sixty seven games. You're just not going to play. But if you do have an opportunity, then you're going to play. All of a sudden, the risk is is it's 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 a lot safer now. It's or it's a lot. Yeah, more exactly. Worse. Like exactly. that's not, I don't feel like that's to me that's corny, right? I mean, I mean, think about it. We yeah. we know this. Whenever we play pickup basketball and you're playing, whether it's two on two, three on three, five on five, and you're playing make it take it, and you're down seven zero. There's a difference between those guys who are down seven zero. And keep playing hard, and mm-hmm. those guys that don't. Yeah. What Dame's commentary essentially is saying, "Oh well, we're gonna, we're not gonna, we're not gonna be able to win. So why should I try?" I'm and just and, and, that, and, and that's, that's what bothers me about it because you know, first of all, we're 
very pro player on this show. I am absolutely pro player. Yeah. I love players when they stand up for their rights. I love when they go against the grain. Love it, love it, love it. The thing that, about this one, though, is just seems like you're you're not accepting kind of responsibility for the position that you're in. That's your exactly. position that you're in. It's one thing if this thing started and it was unfair or, you know, it had only been five games played in the season and you didn't have a chance, but you had over 60-something games. I mean, the yeah. Atlanta, yeah, all the teams that aren't even in playoff contention, they have to play all 82 games, right? Like, mm -hmm. they still have to go through so, the season. The question to me is, and I, and I agree that there's relative risk that you're willing to accept based on the, all potential outcomes, right? So it's almost yeah. every analysis you make is risk-reward. Um, you know, whether you decide to go to the grocery store or not, or have your groceries delivered. Those are all risk reward analyses that we're making now in this coronavirus period. Yeah. But where things become different is when it becomes self when it when it sounds selfish. Um, when you're a part of you're part of something bigger, you know what I'm saying. Yeah. So it's kind of that's the thing that I you know a little and upset about. And I think we both we both agree on this point and qualify it this way. This is completely completely out of character for what from what we know and have observed about Damian Lillard in his mm -hmm. entire basketball career. So yeah. that's why I'm, I'm willing to give him some benefit of the doubt. Yeah, it doesn't so, take away the fact that it was a dumb comment, right? Yeah, I, to me, I, I don't like it. You know what I'm saying? And yeah. I, like I said, I'm typically pro player. I'll typically try to find the angles to defend the player. This one I don't like. Either take a real stance, which is, look, it's not safe to play, so I'm not playing, or or don't say anything at all. And if, you know, there's another point that one of our, our boys – made uh we talked to kelsey and our boy will about this too and one of the points that kelsey made was that he thinks that this is just a leverage play that this is that this isn't this is much to do about nothing he's just basically saying this because he's trying to use his leverage to get the nba to acquiesce and and create some type of system that's more favorable to him so he's like it's not i don't even know why you guys are even that's yeah, clearly what man. he's doing you know and so you know you know, I don't want to overreact. I'm not like, have oh, a lot of power during this time. This isn't a normal time to just say whatever. Right. Yeah. So that, yeah. That's kind of, you know, I understand that that line of thinking, but it's like, okay, there's a way to do it. And he did it in the most ineffective way possible. So, yeah, it, it, I, I agree. That, that, that's perfect. That's a perfect way of saying it. So, you know, we'll see how that plays out. Let's move on. Well, well we're talking NBA coronavirus. Quick shout out. Patrick Ewing uh, actually contracted the coronavirus and, um, He's recovering, said it's very, very serious. I hope people take it seriously. So definitely prayers up for him. Um, let's talk some more basketball real quick. There, so, you know, obviously the last dance, we've been watching the last dance, you know, it's, it ended what, last week. Um, but, you know, it's still the top, pretty much the talk of NBA circles. And it's actually spawned uh, a couple of different conversations that I wanted to talk to you about. One of them was... Uh, there's, I guess there's audio that surfaced from back in the day where Jordan said that he wouldn't play on the dream team if Isaiah was playing. And they actually have that audio and it was released through a podcast this week. Um, and that contradicts somewhat uh, kind of what Jordan said that he kind of, you know, had no influence on the decision uh, whether or not Isaiah played, you know, what are your thoughts on this? I mean, obviously this is 30 something years ago. Maybe you can just say who the fuck cares, but like, I mean, it is who, who cares, right? Yeah. Because yeah. I don't Isaiah Thomas isn't somebody that's worth our sympathy, generally speaking, right? Mm -hmm. Knowing what we know about what he's done in his career and post career and how he treated people. Um, but with that said, he did kind of say he did directly say that he's not playing. And the issue that I have with these things is they always focus in on on that part. But Jordan continued in that same conversation and said, 
Rod Thorne said Charles Barkley said he wouldn't play with Isaiah either. Mm. So it does support Jordan's claim that he wasn't the only guy that was uncomfortable. It wasn't just about me. There were plenty of guys on that team that did not want to play with Isaiah, including Magic Johnson, right? Who, yeah. But I do but I do think that it's clear though that like if Mike told Rod Thorne he's not playing if Isaiah's playing. I mean, if he said that in an interview, I'm sure he said that behind the scenes and for sure yeah. that affected that affected the decision. Like I just you don't need to play coy, Mike. Like we we got it. You know what I mean? Like you didn't like um yeah. You say I exercised my power. Right. right. They right, could have they, they they had it. I gave them a choice and they chose me. Exactly. Right. Now, I would have <laughs> been more comfortable if he had said that. Because that's we all know that is what happened. Now did he go there and aggressively say, Hey, you don't put Isaiah on uh or whatever because I'm Michael Jordan. He basically said, Look, if you have him, I'm not playing. Yeah. And that's enough. You're Michael freaking Jordan. At that point, yeah, you know, that that was enough. Uh and yeah. then one other thing that that um kind of has started to surface a little bit is a kind of a LeBron versus Kobe um, kind of goat conversation or second goat or third goat or whatever. Yeah. Um, in terms of how you evaluate them. Um, and there's somebody I can't, I can't remember who it was now who came out and basically said that uh, Kobe is still above LeBron. Mm -hmm. And, and I, and when I hear people say that, I, I, I can understand why they say it. I guess, it, I guess it kind of just depends on what you're, what it is that you're measuring. What are your thoughts uh, kind of on the Kobe versus LeBron, I guess, kind of, you know, place in history? I think what a lot of people are getting kind of blurred in that conversation is this isn't a conversation about the most talented player to play the game, right? Mm -hmm. Because when you're measuring GOAT, there are many other factors that need to be considered, including how you fare in the championship round. It's universal mm -hmm. amongst all sports. Um, and I think the fact is that Kobe has a three-peat. Um, LeBron has never even won. I don't think they've ever even won back-to-back -back championships. Um, they didn't in Miami. Um, and didn't sustain that dominance in his career. Now, you, and, and again, I qualify this by saying, when you're making these distinctions, you're splitting hairs, right? Mm -hmm. um, Kobe's still above on my list because even after Shaq left, he was able to be the lead dog on that team and win two more championships, right? For so that's why, that, and, and that's why I think the conversation has, is it's almost talking across each other all the time because a lot of times it's not framed. So uh, when you say, is it the most talented, who's the most top five most talented players I've ever seen? Yeah. That's a different question. Like you said, then who is the goat on the court accolades goat, right? Yeah. And not just accolades, but also like everything, eye tests, accolades, clutch, you know, moments, all those type of things that you use. I think those conversations are different. So, I mean, from a from a skill set standpoint, you look at Kobe, he's basically like 99% of Jordan, right? Yeah. So you're arguing about who's most talented. A lot of times it just comes down to which style of basketball yeah. did, did you like more? You know what I mean? It's like, mm -hmm. like you said. LeBron has the most eclectic skill set. I like to use that word <laughs> we've ever seen, right? Yeah. And I hate saying this because it's almost like I feel like real hardcore LeBron fans can't handle you putting him anywhere but number one, right? Mm -hmm. um, and then they want to be able to qualify certain things to support their argument, right? They can qualify and say and, and excuse away the fact that LeBron is two and six in three, three, three and six in championships. 
Um, but that's the same case. Then Jordan fans should be able to just as strongly say, "Well, Jordan's six and zero. It's not like you no, know." No, but no, but the thing is, you the, the thing that bothers me about Le- LeBron fans and Jordan fans essentially is that they want to qualify certain things, but then they also want to de- de- determine the terms about yes. what things matter. So, like for example, for so for Jordan's perspective, people could say, "Well, LeBron never got swept in the first, never got swept, or he never lost in the first round." Or I mean, what can you include? But you say, "Oh no, only the finals matter." People are like, "Well, no, actually, other things do matter besides the finals." So it's 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 the argument is circular. That's why I never really have it. Yeah, yeah, And you said this before. First of all, to me, Michael Jordan's the goat, right? I and I have yeah. no problem saying that, right? Um, personally, I like LeBron more, right? As a, yeah. as a person, I'd rather hang out with or be affiliated yeah. with. It'd be LeBron. Um, a better also, human being. Yeah, and I also I also think that um, if so, the people who say he's the most talented player they've ever seen, I don't argue with those people at all. So for me, I, I'm very comfortable kind of in that in where I am with this thing. I yeah, don't feel you know, you to, know, and there's certain things like I, you know how how adamant I am about about Jordan being the goat, um, mm-hmm. and feel like it's a, it's it's a useless conversation. But mm-hmm. with that being said, if somebody comes and presents the argument. The Kareem Abdul-Jabbar is the goat, though. Mm-hmm. I, I, I'll say I respectfully disagree. I understand fully. Like mm-hmm. in terms of resume, his resume is shitting on everyone's. Mm-hmm. Right? Three mm-hmm. three NCAA championships, three NCAA MVPs, six rings, six MVPs. Like he's yeah. he's got it all. There are a lot of people that are all-time scoring leader. And like and they're not listening to that. Yeah, there are a lot of people that tell you that and they're not listening. To, to the whole Jordan thing, you know? Yep. So, yep. but the other thing about LeBron too, last thing I'll say on him is that he still has some time. He has time. If he gets, you know, if he gets two more rings, Oh, then, oh you know, if he even, if, even, if he goes like, for example, let's say they play this, this season and, you know, he beats, you know, Houston and beats Kawhi and then goes and beats Giannis. That's a very, very impressive ring. I mean, he starts moving up the list. Very, yep. very, I mean, that's a serious, serious discussion. And then if he goes and gets a fifth one, they're definitely will probably get even closer to 50 50. So. I, th- I think the question when you're, when you start splitting hairs down the line, right. Mm-hmm. Is, is he going to be the, is he still the best player on his team? Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Because I think in every one of those situ in, in the Kobe scenario, when he won two more rings post Shaq, he was the best player on the team. Right. I, but then some people will tell you that Shaq, Shaq was the three time MVP though. Three yeah. times, not three out of three. I mean, so. that's a lot of people will, they do, they marginalize those three rings for yeah. Kobe, right? Yeah. And if he right. had not come back and won those two rings, oh, yeah, it would have been Kobe hard. wouldn't even be in the conversation. And that's, that, and that's kind of like what the conversation, Durant uh, situation, Durant finds himself in now, right? Yeah. Nobody even count. I mean, people, seriously, no one's counting that ring. Yeah, you got it. It's cool, whatever. But that's not, we don't measure that ring the way we measure other rings. You yeah. Know? And so, so it's going to come down yeah. to, I mean, and LeBron, I still do think is the, you know, if Anthony Davis um, dominates the playoffs and and they're winning with with LeBron almost as Robin, um, then I think the goat conversation specifically, right, will still have some some holes in it. But if 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 he goes through and dominates this year and gets the MVP in the finals, he's right right there. Yeah. He jumps over Kobe for me. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So from that, it's funny. I I'm not like. You know, I, I'm fiending for sports just like the next person. Um, but I, what I don't want is, first of all, people to be unsafe. And then second of all, 
for sports have to start and then stop. And then, you know, I don't want that kind of disruption. Um, but to the extent that we can get back and playing safely, I think that is one of the things I'm looking most forward to is how's the NBA season going to end? Because that's, that's, I mean, there's some teams, man, and that, that's a dogfight. Whoever wins that finals, especially whoever comes off the West, even the East, that's, that's going to be some real basketball. I mean, and, and, and let's be honest, like LeBron and Kawhi getting this much time to rest their, their hurt bodies. Right. It's, it's going to be a problem for people in the playoffs. Yeah, no, it is. It is. Absolutely. So let's, let's move on. Um, talk some NFL stuff, man. So the NFL has some changes in the Rooney rule. Um, and the Rooney rule for people who don't know is essentially a rule that was uh, adopted by the NFL a while ago that basically said that, you know, when you have a job opening, you have to interview at least one minority candidate for head coach. Um, and the reason why they did that is because, you know, minority head coaches have historically been kind of X'd out and still kind of, and still not kind of still are being X'd out from these positions. And they realized there's been a lot of backlash. So they realized they had to make some adjustments. So I'm going to read you a couple of the rules. Um, to expand the ruling rule, and then we'll talk about it. Um, the first one is it requires at least two external minority candidates to be interviewed for the head coach position and at least one minority candidate for offensive, defensive, and special teams coordinator positions. Second one is it requires at least one external minority candidate to be interviewed for a senior football operations or general manager position. And then the third one is it requires club and league office to include minorities and or female, app female applicants for senior level positions, uh, and then they name a bunch of senior level positions. Um, those are the proposals that and that have gone through as part of the expansion. There was another discussion about potentially having something that could affect your draft status, I think, or something like that. Um, anyway, so what are your thoughts on kind of this new development and what effect it could have? I mean, they can keep changing these rules and adding different layers to um, try to force the hand of owners mm -hmm. but you know we know enough about this is that the majority of players in the nfl are african-american mm -hmm. um and i'm a firm believer in in equal representation right mm -hmm. um you can't have these say that these guys are good enough to represent the majority of players right mm -hmm. but aren't good enough or qual i just won't ever buy that that there aren't enough qualified candidates then to take any of these positions right yeah. mm -hmm. um it's clearly been a historic historical issue with the nfl that this is an old boys club there's mm -hmm. only one minority owner in the entire nfl yeah. so until the nfl really takes this seriously like the nba has and other leagues have in saying okay there are consequences for you not hiring eric b who's qualified and, and has the resume to have a head coaching job and he's not even given a serious shot at any job that doesn't that clearly speaks to something deeper here in terms of collusion in terms of old mentalities in terms of thinking that i don't know if that lee can mandate or change because at the end of the day i still feel like nfl owners are comfortable caucasian nfl owners are most comfortable hiring a Caucasian to be a head coach or to be their GM. I just, let me, let me tell you something that's interesting about this conversation. And I was actually listening to uh, Lewis Friedrich talk about it. And he said something that was, was striking. He said, the irony in this whole thing is that these NFL owners are the ones that are voting on this. 
So they're basically saying, okay, hey, hey, fellow guys, since we can't on our own decide to be inclusive, well, let's put it in a rule. Yeah. To police ourselves. Like what type of, it's crazy when you think about this, it's yeah. generally not how things happen. So you, you, you think that you're either, you know, you're either, like you said, old school enough, racist enough, ignorant enough, you know, not caring enough, whatever it is, to feel like you have to put it in an actual rule yeah, to govern yourself. <laughs> it's it's yeah, crazy. It's, so, it's, so to me, so to me, what it, what it means, and this is what a lot of things in society mean, and we'll transition after this into something that, you know, kind of relates to this conversation. But a lot of things in society is that people are going to have to police themselves and who they are internally and the issues that they have, things that, they, that they've been taught, things that are subconsciously in their heads that make them make decisions before any rule or any change or any guideline is going to make people do it. And, and so it's you, cool. I like last thing I'll say on this is it's cool because it forces more people to get in the door. And the more people that get in the door, the more chances of somebody getting hired or getting an experience or, you know, meeting someone or whatever that, you know, this can help. But overall, whether it's going to have a serious impact, I don't think so. I think I think that's generally when change is going to come on the issue of race is when the majority start to stop accepting willful and unwillful ignorance. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. And and actually do the work of educating themselves on what minorities are dealing with and actually understand the issues beyond just, oh man, we need to hire a black or brown face because mm -hmm. we, right. we're, that's what the rule says we have to do. That's right. not what this is about. This is mm -hmm. about giving people who deserve the same shot, the same shot that these other people are getting. Yeah, and that's it. And I think, you know, and a lot of this comes down to just old institutions, like you said, and old networks and people people hire and work with who they know a lot of times yeah. as well. Um, and sometimes it's that, to be honest. And, and it's and, yeah. and so and so this is forcing them to expand who it is that they know, who it is that's in their network, forcing them to kind of go outside of their general comfort zones and make some changes. And I think it's better than nothing. And that's honestly yeah, that's all I can say. You, you just made a great point. It's like sometimes you see it. It's like these coaches who can't win get other jobs easily. Right? Unbelievable. Like after what happened in Philadelphia, Chip Kelly just went and got it, got another job in San Francisco based yeah. on what? Mm -hmm. It's crazy. And so yeah. that's, that's kind of how this thing goes. So hopefully, you know, it's something that, you know, I guess the, the, the positive news, which is what people always kind of want to hear is that, you know, there is some progress being made. Um, and at least these discussions are being had and, you know, maybe some of them are fruitless, but you know, even if one or 5% of them are fruitful, then that's yeah. better than zero. Yep. Uh, and that kind of makes transitions into some pop call kind of, I don't want to call it pop culture, but some like real news that's happened across the country. Um, the one was the one in New York um, with the lady, Amy Cooper, who essentially was choking her dog out while she was threatening to call or actually didn't threaten. She actually called the 911 and, and told the police that this black man who was asking her to put her dog on the leash uh, per the rules in the, of the park um, and the state. Um, she was saying that he was threatening her and, she started shrieking and acting like she was being under attack and she wasn't. And that video has gone viral. Um, and she's now lost her dog. Um, and she's also at least been put on leave for her job and, you know, very, you know, likely stands to 
lose her job and she came out with some apology bullshit apology saying she's not racist and <laughs> you know this isn't what happened it didn't happen like you know all the, whatever so but it brought up another you know beyond obviously what you think about that which obviously i'll give you a chance to talk about um there was another kind of issue that was going viral where people were called it's called doxing i guess which is basically outing people's names and their information uh and there are some people that like even though she did what she did was reprehensible uh doxing isn't cool basically what are your what are your thoughts kind of on the situation and then kind of the the whole doxing conversation well this is this 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 situation is so layered and i think it's a great example of of what really needs to be discussed right mm -hmm. um when it comes to to race relations one of the biggest issues is that i think whether knowingly or unknowingly right i have um plenty of white friends and associates in my network who are great people mm -hmm. right but there is this these two concepts of white privilege and entitlement mm -hmm. um that kind of need to be addressed right this understanding that I am superior just by virtue of my color and I can do harm to you just because I'm white and you're black. Mm -hmm. It's something that's deeply rooted in this country. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, and it's, it's, it's sad. It's not supposed to be the case. It is a reality. Right. But the fact that this woman essentially threatened this man with police Mm -hmm. who could have come arrested or killed him. We know mm -hmm. that that could have happened in this scenario mm -hmm. um, because she was breaking the rules mm -hmm. and she could not handle the fact that a minority was telling her to follow rules that are set for the park. Mm -hmm. That's the only explanation for this. It enraged yeah. her so deeply mm -hmm. and her sense of privilege and entitlement so deeply that she was willing to get him killed. That she was willing to get him killed. Yeah, and I think the sad, the other sad part about this is that she knew that by calling the police and by saying that basically she's a white lady that's being threatened by African-American and she feels for her safety, she knew what that meant. She knew that that could have resulted in something very dangerous for that man. And she knew specifically because he was African-American. She said it twice. Yeah. So it wasn't, that's the thing that a lot of times in these videos you don't get. A lot of times in these videos, you won't get her saying, oh, he's an African-American man. He'll just be African-American. And then you have to draw your own conclusions. And then people will say, oh, it's not a racist. Why do you think it's a race thing? And people will say it's clearly a race thing. And then you have that debate. This, it, time, we don't, this time we don't have that debate. Yeah. Right? And, and what's it, ironic and sad about this situation is that I think that the guy is like a Harvard graduate and <laughs> right. like, he's like crushing her in all, in all the darkness, right? Yeah, yeah. But, yeah. but that's, that just goes to show you. And then the sad thing, that's the ironic thing. The sad thing is that this person was in a very, very high position in an investment company. Mm -hmm. um, and this is someone who holds these beliefs internally that is making mm -hmm. decisions consistently mm -hmm. and also managing people's money um that are minorities yeah. right and managing people and yeah. within the company because she i think she had a fairly good position yeah that's the other thing too it's just sad to see that know that there are a lot of people like this lurking around society undetected right um yeah and this, and this is why like whenever people get upset about you know when i hear the the statement you know that people are always complaining why are people always outraged it's like when you see stuff like this you have to understand why 
the rage has to come out the way that it does mm-hmm. as loudly as it does and as mm-hmm. consistent as it consistently as it does because clearly things aren't changing well you know and that was kind of the martin luther king approach right which was kind of just let's continue highlighting over and over and over and over and over again through video through non through non-violence through you know through boycotts whatever let's show over and over and over again because a lot of people won't believe it until they see certain things you yeah. know and so that's kind of what this this video does so we'll see what ends up happening to her and i guess the last question on this is about the doxing thing i guess what's your what's your opinion on that is that is that generally and i guess kind of in this situation i think again that when people don't feel like justice is being served Mm -hmm. uh, properly um people try to figure out some way to capture some power and control over a situation Mm -hmm. people are sick and tired of people committing acts like this and facing no consequences Mm -hmm. so Mm -hmm. at the least they feel like if we expose them we can at least shame them right Right. and i and i i'd I'd love to see and know what the consequences for this lady would would have been if she wasn't outed Um, and how drastically different they would have been. So again, I think, you know, for every reaction, there's going to be a reaction. And so it's true. And I think also to me, I kind of, I guess I would say it depends on the degree. Right. Mm -hmm. And I guess who are we to judge, so to speak, but I fuck it. That's, that's who we're, that's what we do. I think it depends on the degree of how egregious I think what you did was, right? If this was just like, oh, some two people got in a fight and, you know, I don't know, whatever, they got in a fight, whatever. That's not necessarily something. But when it's something like that's this egregious mm-hmm. um, and this dangerous, and it actually brings up issues that are, are very explosive within society, right? And yeah. it brings up, creates conversation. And, and um, also, like you said, this is somebody who's actually managing people and, dealing with people, minorities, the people that she's, that she's scared of, so to speak. Uh, I think, sorry, you know, sorry, you shouldn't have fucking done it because it's, there are consequences not, for your not actions. To, not to mention, you know, and this is another thing, not to mention you choking the hell out of that dog, you know, like there's there. Sorry. You, you broke yeah. the law. You broke the law. Number one, by not putting them on a leash and everybody knows why they have those, those leash rules there. You then threatened a guy because he was black. You called the police and were trying to have him assaulted. You're strangling a dog, and you don't. And people aren't going to out you. No, sorry, that's you I, know that's that's not. I have a course. legal question on this. Is yeah. there in situations like this where people are obviously and clearly falsely accused? Is there any legal recourse for yeah, them? Yeah, there is. I mean, each state is different. But they do actually have, uh, I guess, what's called fi- filing a false report. Um, that's one thing. Um, there are a couple other potential things. Because you can't just call nine one one. No, there are consequences for calling nine one one. No, you can't. So they can, they can they can charge you for filing a false report. I think it's a misdemeanor. Um, and then there are a, f- a few other like charges that are probably harder to make stick that you could file. Um, but yeah, there are. There actually are legal consequences. A lot of times, it doesn't amount to much though and that's the other thing that i think makes people so enraged um is it you know and and also in other situations of being falsely accused is you know if you're falsely accused and and you're convicted you can go to jail in a lot of some of these instances for life yeah but you can falsely accuse someone and it just be a complete lie and we find out you falsely accused and there's no real punishment for you like where's the where's the justice in that yeah. So, you know, that is definitely something that under the law needs to change. And then I want to move um, 
quickly to not quickly, but move to the George Floyd situation in Minneapolis, the video that's going around on social media, um, a black man who was, you know, had his officer essentially kill him, having his knee on his neck, a guy saying he couldn't breathe as officers were looking around, not really helping the situation. Community was around. I, again, have not watched the video. So everything I'm telling you is from things that I've either read or heard. Uh, I just don't have the, the stomach to kind of watch these videos anymore. Um, I don't know, man. It's just like <sighs> I'm tired. I'm tired of hearing this. There's just a bad apple, right? Conversation because I think if we're going to have a real conversation, we need to have a real conversation and get to the heart of these issues, right? Mm-hmm. And one of the major issues that I have is how they choose and qualify people who become police officers, right? Very often, these people are people who were assholes in high school, you know, don't have a lot else going on for them. And th- this is not all of them, right? Of course not. Yeah, I mean, obviously. Yeah, I, I don't, wa- don't want to yeah. say that. But there is a problem in the people who choose to become police officers. There's actually an issue within that that needs yeah, to I be think it start, I think it starts before that. You know, and I yeah. think, first of all, like you said, it's important to say this because people go crazy if, if you don't. Obviously, you know, not everybody does this type of thing. There are a lot of people who, cops who've helped people and done great things, and those stories are important as well. Um, but the, the, the problem, I think, with these type of situations is a couple of things. First of all, if you're talking about, so there are, there are a number of issues. One is like, uh, you know, there's a race issue that's always underlying, right? And that's yeah. something that hap- that's a, a, a societal problem as far as this country is concerned, right? It's not yeah. reduced to any profession. And it's, then you have yeah. a, kind of a, an abuse of power thing, which could relate to that as well, but doesn't always have to, right? Um, which is not, which is all, which is a separate kind of issue, right? And lack of training or not good enough training or abuse of power. And then the code of uh, people, you know, I'm not speaking out against it. Even if I think what he did was wrong, I'm not going to stop it. I'm not speaking out against it. And how dangerous that can actually be. And that's part of what it seems like manifested in Minneapolis is just a, a dangerous cocktail of all of those things. Yeah. I mean, I think it's it's just there's no there's no justification for it. You know, I hear people say, even if the guy was breaking the law or did something wrong, that's not how you restrain somebody. It's mm-hmm. not how you, you have handcuffs. You have yeah. the back of a police car. Mm-hmm. That, you know, that move is actually against the law, I believe. In yeah, in I mean, the, the, to protect and serve, right? Mm-hmm. You are breaking yeah. your oath by handling someone in that way. And just almost the carelessness. Like, he didn't give a... Like, you could just see he didn't give a damn. Like... About yeah, that's guy. why that's why I can't watch it, man. Because and then to see the other cop, you know, and then that's the other thing is it's like, okay, if you're a good cop, then do something about it. You know mm-hmm. that that's wrong. Yeah, you know. Yeah, but you're just and that, you're just, and, that, and that's what I hope eventually starts to happen, right? In these conversations, is it's not just okay. We want justice um, for the perpetrator, so to speak, right? That's obviously we want that, but we also want people to start speaking up, man. We have deep-rooted issues in our police department in America, including race, including abuse of power, including corruption, criminality. Mm -hmm. There's a there are a ton of issues Mm -hmm. 
that aren't properly being managed or handled. I'm, I'm tired of hearing the same line. We, we love our cops. We all love our cops. We mm-hmm. all know that without the police, that there will be a lot more crime, mm-hmm. right? With all that said, it doesn't mean that there aren't issues that constantly need to be worked on to improve how they execute their jobs and to make sure situations like that, this aren't happening. And I don't feel like that that's happening. Properly. Well, I think, and I think that like, you know, it's part of it too is, is people get really emotional about certain topics and then they black out and they don't, they don't hear anything else. Yeah. And uh, I think that happens in a lot of conversations, uh, yeah, hot button conversations in this country, especially now. So anyway, for this particular situation, obviously we hope that, you know, he gets justice, uh, George Floyd and his family, RIP. And uh, we'll obviously be following that and see what happens. I'm sure it could, it could be, if it doesn't get handled in a certain way, you, can, you may see, you know, unrest in Minneapolis. Yeah. So, so we'll pay attention to that. Let's move on to some, uh, some more like pop culture stuff, some business stuff. Um, the coronavirus obviously has affected a lot of different people and businesses. We talk about it a lot in the sports context and the music context. But uh, Hertz, the car rental, and they own, I think, a couple other car rentals. They're filing for bankruptcy. And um, a couple of things with that. One is that they're saying, so this is a tip for people who are looking for a car. Uh, they're going to be selling a lot of their cars at discounts uh, right now. So now's a good time to go check that out. Um, but, yeah, but it says, I mean, I think they've been around for over 100 years. You know what I mean? And so it just really highlights kind of some of the impact of this virus. Yeah, I think people are getting lost in this oh the stock market's still going up though but even when you break down the stock market there are a lot of american companies that rely on consumer consumption that are really struggling right now mm-hmm. um pe- people are highlighting the general market but um it's it's important that we keep these businesses who are being impacted by essentially acts of god right mm-hmm. that we do more to to help them. And the truth is that bankruptcy sometimes can be a great thing for a business to go mm-hmm. through. Right. right. Um, but you know, we know and why is that? Why is that? Explain, explain to me why that, why that is. Cause I, I think a lot of times when you hear bankruptcy, you know, it's, it's like, Oh my God, they don't have any money. They have nothing, but that's not necessarily what it means in the business. And an, an unhealthy, when you have an unhealthy patient, right. Mm-hmm. You can either just put a bandaid on them and tell them, you know, hopefully it gets better mm-hmm. or you can force them to really address whatever the real health concern or issue is in a real way. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that what bankruptcy does is it forces you to look in the mirror and dig deeper and address your issues and not just mm-hmm. cover them. Right. Um, so, you know, many major American companies have gone through bankruptcy. Our airlines go through bankruptcies all the time. Mm-hmm. Our big car companies go through them. So, when you hear bankruptcy, we get it has this real negative connotation to it. Obviously, nobody wants to go bankrupt. Yeah. Right? But um, in this scenario, it might be something considering um, they have some creditor issues and stuff like that. The best yeah. way to address all the issues and come out um, better on the other side. Yeah. Yeah. So we'll see what happens with that. Um, and then there have been like a, a lot of uh, evictions. Uh, resuming in, in a lot of different cities across the country. You know, I think for a second, um, a lot of kind of landlords were more understanding. Um, 
about, you know, people not paying and, you know, people weren't really evicting. And I think there might have even been some anti-eviction, you know, guidelines that were enacted in different states. But uh, now the evictions are back. You know, people are like they want their money. And uh, that's an issue that we're going to be dealing with, too. Yeah. I mean, I think when it comes to issues like this, um, one of the things that I'm very interested in seeing is what's going to happen when this federal aid kind of falls off and people aren't getting these weekly unemployment checks and pandemic relief checks. And they, we really have to deal with the weight of 30%, 25%, 20% unemployment Mm -hmm. in this country. Right. And, um, I, I, I understand both sides of this. I've been a landlord and my landlord, um, and understand, um, their side of this as well. Mm -hmm. Um, but I think, Again, we have to, as a society, figure out what is fair, right? Yeah. And that's if evictions mean, you know, I've always, in my situations, I've always found that there are reasonable solutions to major problems, right? Whether mm-hmm. that's okay, well, we understand you're going through economic hardships, so you're going to pay an extra $200 a month until you're caught up in your rent, right? Right. Um, there, there. We we have to crack down on landlords who are not being sympathetic to the reality of what human beings are facing. Right, mm-hmm. putting a family out on the street um, that was paying their rent and doing everything right, but the situation hit that could create a major problem for our country. Right, mm-hmm. so we just have to to to, to well, be. I think one thing that I think has to happen when the government decides that they're going to shut you down and tell you, listen you can't work right then they have to do a lot they have to do everything right you gotta start go start making you know rents with landlords put you know put together make sure people have enough money to to get through this type of thing make sure the benefits are coming quickly enough make sure there are opportunities for people to work like you know and get hazard pay if they go out and decide to be an essential worker you gotta you know create like mark cuban said create a whole bunch of jobs there are a ton of jobs that the government could create that, that that's you know that's obviously what what happened in the great depression and the new deal and that actually benefited because it created a lot of the infrastructure we use today right mm-hmm. and particularly in america we have a serious infrastructure problem our bridges mm-hmm. are going bad mm-hmm. there is more than enough work that needs to be done we're falling behind the rest of the world in terms of infrastructure so that's kind of what the issue here is it's one thing to give people money but put people to work there are a yeah. lot of people out here who want work and there's work that our country needs. Um, don't just write, write checks that don't, don't help and end July 31st, right? What right. happened after July 31st? Yeah. These people all out on their own. No, have a plan and process say, okay, we have to create more jobs than we've ever needed to create. Let's create, start somewhere. Let's not just sit around and do And the other thing too, and the other thing too, is I think, you know, back to the like kind of paying the landlord situation is like a lot of landlords, you know, they don't have excess money to just no. need that mortgage and that the, and money that they owe the banks. That's another reason you have to get the banks on board as well. Like this, if, if a landlord's like, listen, I'm just a small business guy that bought this property. If I don't get this money, I can't pay the, the, the bank. What do, you, what do you think they're going to do? Gonna I mean, do- there, there is a system in place already that the government has in place for subsidized housing, right? Mm-hmm. Why can't they create some sort of pandemic unemployment um, 
public housing initiative where you can qualify for up to three to six months mm-hmm. um, while you're getting back on your feet, right? Yeah. Like we already have the system in place and it's not. It, and that's why it's frustrating just watching this thing play out politically as it has, right? Because at the end of the day, most of us need the same things, right? So, I mean, obviously, you know, there's some people that don't, but most of us kind of need, are going through all the same issues, right? So um, it's just frustrating how this thing has been handled from beginning to end. And that's pretty, and just from beginning to ne- to now, like this thing has not been handled well. And, um, you know, a lot, a lot of the suffering that has happened had did not actually have to happen if this thing had been handled well. I'm not even just talking about the death. I'm talking about, the way the people who are living are suffering right now throughout the country. Yeah. Yep. I mean, I said, even, even from the death standpoint, read an article on NPR today saying if they had just started social distancing a week earlier, about 36,000 of these deaths would not have happened. Right. It, it's, it's, it's crazy. And the thing is, is that, so then imagine what two weeks earlier would have done, you know what I mean? Yeah. So there's that. And then also the decisions that, you know, just not any real uniformity, I mean, what does opening up the economy mean? Like opening up the, what does that actually mean? How are you going, what is the plan to take the the 20 some percent of our population that has lost their jobs, that it's willing to work and earn their living and pay their bills? How are we going to get these people jobs? Because getting them jobs is actually in the best interest of the country because then they become taxpayers, Mm -hmm. you know, and then, they pay bills. They consume. Seventy percent of our economy is consumption. Well, a lot of and a lot of the uh, employers that open up now are not going to need probably as many people as they needed before. No, they're not. Same thing that and, happened in 08. Yeah, yeah, you and know. or the, or and or people are going to have to be working from home, um, and even then they might be cutting down. So you know, a lot of times the first thing to go is is payroll. You know, it's workforce high high paid employees. A lot of times the first to go. So yeah. Anyway, we'll see how we'll see how this thing. Uh, pans out. I wanted to talk some music before we get out of here. Um, a couple things. One is, uh, let's start with uh, the versus battles, right? So, uh, Beanie Man and Bounty Killer, they had one this weekend in Jamaica. Uh, the police came. I mean, like, like you couldn't have written it better. Uh, yeah, what what do you expect from reggae artists, right? They're they're eccentric as eccentric gets. <laughs> I, lo- I, I loved it, man. It, it brought me back. You know, you and I were actually big reggae fans in college, and um, I think my brother and my sister used to bring us back uh, mixed reggae, reggae CDs back then yeah. at that time. Yeah. So we always had like the first first step in Columbus on uh, on reggae. So I think it was dope, man. I just it was good. Energy. It was good. I couldn't I honestly the eccentricity and then like just the fact that there were like a hundred people there and it wasn't like yeah. the traditional versus screen to screen. Right, right, right. It, it threw me off, but I mean, yeah. But I, but I, I'm glad that they included reggae in um the versus battle and you know the numbers show just how powerful this music culture is throughout the world absolutely and then 112 and jagged edge had theirs what did you think about it (laughs) musically i mean these two groups i mean i don't know who they're all the talent around them are the writers are but man talk about talent and music and songs Right, and groups and like, yeah, just it's hit hard after to see that hit after hit. It's hard, to, it's hard to see that thing today, man. I think people have become societies become too individualized, where people aren't willing to sacrifice anymore, and sometimes for good reason, but sometimes just not. You know, um, people aren't really willing to sacrifice anymore to be in a group. Everybody wants to be solo dolo, 
and get all the accolades by themselves. So yeah. I don't know if we're going to, well, you know, we had so many groups back then. I mean, I mean Silk, H-Town, you know, yeah. Jodeci, you know, I mean, literally mad I mean, groups. Yeah, and, like, and even like the content of the music was so, mm -hmm. much, so much different. You can, they talked about things, right? right? It wasn't just about the melody. Like you had to have a real ability to sing yeah, and and right. have lyrics and, and and you felt and you felt like those guys were in love for real. All man. the like, different, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, all the different things like and that, like you said about <gasps> being in a group. It's not just one guy singing and then coming up with some background and ad libs. You got harmonies, all kinds of crazy harmonies going on right. in right. the background that you yeah. don't, you might not even hear. Like yeah. I was hearing things when I was listening to these songs that I had never heard before. Right, yeah. exactly. Yep. And, and that's why, again, you know, we talk about these a lot, and it's just, uh, it exposes a couple things. First of all, we grew up in a great era of music, um, which you and I talked about before. And then also just, um, you know, how important music is to society, you know, and how important it is to, you know, to, to, to think that you can put something like this on Instagram and have a half a million people watching yeah. it a million people watching it at once. I mean, that just shows you just to watch people on Instagram live. You have half a million people. That's, yeah. that's, that's crazy. So, and, and this, and this goes back to why it isn't today, right? We like to blame the artists and we like to blame the, the cookie cutter motto. But the reality is, is that once music started getting pirated by companies like Napster, the amount of money that these record labels were investing, even in, managing and developing artists and groups declined accordingly that's how economies and capitalism work right so right. we we tend to blame all oh, the, the people and the artists but they're just responding to the current environment that exists the record yeah. that have created which is we don't want to spend any money developing talent we want something yeah. that's easy to put that's, out that's easy to put out and, and speaking of the record labels uh instagram's actually cracking down on DJs who are playing live songs that are longer than 90 seconds. Um, so a lot of DJs have been having like sets. I think DJ D nice was the first one. And um, a lot of DJs have been having like different sets or like club this, you know, every night, but they're cracking down. They're basically saying that it, it violates their agreements with record labels and publishers for them to play songs longer than 90 seconds. Um, what are your thoughts on that? I mean, you know, this is, this is a tale as old as time, right? When the, mm. The suits and lawyers get in the way of the culture, right? The truth is music doesn't grow without DJs playing your music. Every artist who's ever made it knows that getting someone like D-Nice to play your record makes your record bigger, right? Mm -hmm. And every DJ, that's what they do for artists. They expose your music to the masses. Yeah. Um, and it's not like they're making a bunch of money um, on this. I know there's probably some sponsor agreements and stuff like that. Figure out a better solution than to say we're just going to litigate and we're going to come after you if you play play songs wrong, longer than 90 seconds. Well, there has well, to be more discretion here in how, here's the problem. how these things are done. Here's the problem. The problem is that the way artists get paid and the way music ownership gets paid is very tricky, right? It's not your traditional exchange where it's like, okay, yeah. Here you give me a your your a orange and I give you fifty cents. You know what I mean? It's kind of like all these different channels, and one of them is actually um, performance rights, which is like ASCAP and BMI. Yeah. So every time your song gets played on the radio or in the stadium or something like that, um, a movie, you essentially get paid for it. I think 
Uh, even though I'll do some more research into this, but it seems to me initially that it's basically they haven't figured out how the money works yet, yeah. right? So if a DJ is going to come and essentially be able to enhance um, his or her brand on the back of music that we produce and that we own, and we don't see anything off of that, people who people who own the product aren't, aren't going to let that happen, right? So I think, but what it sounds like to me is that, I mean, that's a fairly interesting compromise. 90 seconds, I'm surprised it's even that long. Yeah, DJ doesn't even need to play a song more than ninety seconds if yeah, they're doing they a DJ set. So that's yeah. that's plenty of time. I mean, especially nowadays, some of these songs are two two minutes. You know what I mean? So, um, so we'll see yeah, it's just it's just a it's just a um, like you said, how people get compensated is very very convoluted and tricky. Yeah, and I think there could be some work done to simplify simplify that and and make it easier for everyone. Yeah, but and, then the and lawyers I, don't get paid, right? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, right. But the last thing is, an artist do. You're right, though. The artist. We're talking to the artist. The artist is like, nah, man. Let them play my shit, yeah. man. Let them play my shit, like you know. But it's the artist. A lot of times don't even own the music, so mm-hmm. it's just a lot. It, it's here's a the lot. thing. Here's and the then, thing. The record labels, like we've seen in the versus battles, we've seen it in every time somebody plays these records, their streams go up. So you're mm-hmm. making you're making money and that's why i think sometimes people get so caught up sometimes and putting everything under a microscope and making sure they capture every penny yeah that you're losing out on the big picture here which is every artist that's been on a versus battle playing their music for free on instagram has seen their streams go up exponentially yeah and so they're making money things, and there are very few things in the world that could that could make that happen you know what yeah. i mean you could spend millions of dollars and not get those results so um, so yeah, I agree with you there. So we'll see. And I think it's going to continue to be an issue. Um, and because this thing is continuing to get monetized now, so I saw Ciroc was a sponsor this weekend. So now the brands, are I don't know. I don't know. I don't know about that. Here, here's the yeah. thing. I was like, I hope, I hope Diddy's sending them the pub, their publishing checks the way they promoting <laughs> Ciroc for him. <laughs> right. Right. Well, yeah, yeah. You know, you know what? It's, it's, uh, it's 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 crazy because there are a lot of just different interests here. Um, mm. There's the artists, there's the DJs, there's you know the music publishers, there's the producers. Um, you know, obviously there's the record owners, there's sponsors, and then there's the fan, right? And so trying to, I think Instagram has a vested interest in not shutting this thing down and making sure that there, this can happen because there's too many people that are interested. Um, but you know, it's also got to be. It's business too, right? Yeah, you don't want to set bad, pre- don't want to set bad precedents. So, last thing on news and notes: um, Six Flags is reopening their park on June fifth. Disney is also having plans to reopen pretty soon. Um, I think they had to, them and um, a couple other places had to submit their plans for reopening in Florida to the governor and uh, to get approval. Um, it seems like it's going to be heavy social distancing, lines, masks, which could be crazy, especially if you're talking about Florida, 100 degrees weather. Temperature um, checks. Temperature checks, um, distance, only a certain number of people allowed on a ride at each time, wipe downs after every ride, all that type of stuff. Uh, what are your thoughts on it? I mean... Would you go? Does that sound Does that some, sound like something you would want to do? Uh, me personally... Probably not, <laughs> but but I I guess I'm moving forward a little bit on my thinking on a lot of these things in the sense that if you are willing to take on the inherent risk that comes with some of these activities, right? At, at a certain point, 
the reality is we don't need any of these things. Like they're not necessities or essential businesses. The amusement mm-hmm. park isn't an essential business. But as Americans, we've gotten accustomed to having entertainment, having leisure activity, having sports. So to take that away from us specifically has potential consequences that I don't fully understand from a psychological standpoint and, and, and potential issues standpoint. So I'm not going to be as hardcore in saying, this is dumb. Why the hell are they doing this? Would I personally do this tomorrow? No, but yeah. Um, the thing, the thing for me, I think is like, you know, I, I agree with you. I think on a certain point in time, people have to evaluate the risk and make a calculation, right? Just like they do, especially as things are open up. Yeah. And just like, just like you do with anything else, right? And I'm not, not to say that this is just like anything else, but my point is, is it's a risk, just like driving is a risk, right? And you have to, at some point, you're going to have to make that analysis. Now, the problem that I'm having, though, is that we're not even sure if we know the right information because I've seen articles that say these numbers are inflated, and I've seen articles that say these numbers are way under, you know, deflated. Um, and that, you know, there's governments and health systems suppressing information or adding information. And so we may not even know what the accurate, this data we have right now may not be accurate. Not to mention, you haven't tested everyone. So you can't really know what the numbers really are. <clears throat> I mean, I, it's, it's like, just so many conflicts of interest that we have, right? Because yeah. these amusement parks and restaurants and stuff, they employ people mm-hmm. that that need the money to pay their bills too, mm-hmm. right? So mm-hmm. shutting down Disney World means tens of thousands of people don't have jobs anymore, yep. right? Yep. Yep. Um, and then there's there's the economic side of it, which is Disney is a publicly traded company who has to answer to their shareholders on mm-hmm. why they're not making money, right? Mm-hmm. There's right. that. Then there's the health side of this. Like you said, we don't, the issue is that we don't know. I don't feel like we have the information. The scientists are saying that we don't know yet, right? Yeah, right. We're not even sure how to treat this thing reliably yet. So I definitely hear you on that side of it. And I do think that this is just a, a just a very, very dramatic and troubling situation like you, because there are so many conflicts of interest. And yeah. It's, it's hard and to know what the right thing to do is. It is. And, and like you said, uh, you know, at a certain point, you kind of just gonna have to make your own analysis. Um, you know, and not look, <laughs> not look to anybody to protect you, right? You're just gonna have to literally make your own analysis day to day. And that analysis, like we said earlier in the show, can change week to week. It can change day to day. What that means for you, you know, as the yeah. information develops and um, so on and so forth. And right now, as a lot of places are reopening, I imagine within the next three weeks to a month or so, you know, assuming that there's data is being reported accurately, which is a big assumption, but assuming data is being reported accurately, we'll have a better sense of this thing, whether or not a second wave is likely. Um, so, you know, the I'm going to be paying close thing, attention to that. The biggest thing that I've seen, and you saw the video, <laughs> I think you posted something about uh, uh, about the Ozarks. Uh, oh, yeah, right, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, the fact that what we're seeing is that social distancing guidelines aren't being enforced properly mm-hmm. is concerning, right? Open up, take precautions. But what I'm seeing is just at these bars and clubs, just a lot of free-for-alls and no rules being followed. And yeah, 
and and that's that, frustrating. That's frustrating to me because those are a lot of the same people who would tell you in other instances, well, why don't you just follow the rules? You know, well, if you follow the rules and this wouldn't have happened, you know, and, and, and then a lot of those same people are not following the guidelines and then, or yeah, if, you, the if, you're not follow, if you're not following the dress code at any nightclub and you have any melanin in your skin, you have a problem, right? So. Well, and, and, and that's the thing, <laughs> and that's the thing too, which is crazy is that, you know, you have people who like, it is, it, these guidelines were like the whole idea of reopening, was under certain guidelines, right? It yeah. wasn't like, okay, yeah, we're safe now from the virus. So let's just go and everybody just be around each other and, and hundreds of people. No, it was like, we're reopening, but, but in all caps, we're reopening with these guidelines because this is what is going to keep us safe. But what I've also come to see is that people are making their own analysis. Like we said before, they think a lot, some people think this is bullshit. Some people say, I don't care anymore. Some people say, if I get it, I'll fight it. Some people say, you know, this, Some this, people are just too young to know any better. You know, there's that too. So, and you know, at this, at this point, like I said, I'm done with the fights on Twitter. <laughs> I'm done with, you know, all that stuff. People are going to do what they're going to do. And so at this point, you just have to make your own yeah. decisions and pray. If you're a praying person, you pray and you hope that, you know, this thing, we, we all want this thing to be gone. You know what every, I mean? That's the thing. There's nobody every, that's oh, like, oh, yes, let's have yeah. this. Every every culture has, you know, its issues and flaws. And one of ours is that as Americans, we have a lot of freedoms and we don't like to be inconvenienced. And so there's a tug of war going on right now between our general sentiment and belief that we have the right to do what we want to do, right? Versus the idea that, hey, we all need to make certain changes to protect ourselves and protect each other. Um, and I think that that's, that's reasonable, um, a reasonable expectation for us all to have. Absolutely. All right. That's all we have for news and notes. You're listening to the Pilot Boys podcast, episode 30. Love the Pilot Boys podcast? Support us on Patreon. Supporters can pledge as little as $1. And we have some cool perks on there. Check out www.patreon.com forward slash Pilot Boys podcast. Show us some love today. That's all we have for today's show. Thanks to everybody for listening. Don't forget, sharing is caring. Subscribe to the Pilot Boys podcast on Apple, Spotify, Patreon, and YouTube. And please follow us on social media at Pilot Boys Pod on Twitter and at Pilot Boys Podcast on Instagram and Facebook. And follow the hosts on Twitter. I am at Mechadon Music and V is at The Swamp. Don't forget to grab some Pilot Boys wristbands at shop.pilotboys.com. Always remember, be you. You is fly. Pilot boys out. Pilot boys, we get on up.